uh, uh, oh, I haven't even written the reference down. First Corinthians 13. And uh, how many of you know that's a famous passage in the Bible? It's, you know, being used in uh, weddings and that sort of thing. First Corinthians 13 and verse 13. And I want to just focus on this, uh, just this single verse today. And, um, and I really think that there's something in these few words that if we can get a hold of and let them let it sink into our hearts, it tra- can transform the way that we live. And, uh, you know, by transforming the way that we live, God transforms the outcomes of our life. So often we look at our life, don't we? And we're not happy with the outcomes. Anyone done that? You look at you look at your exam results. Not happy with the outcome. Uh, you look at you know you look at the you know the group of friends you've got. You're not happy with the outcome. You look at your pay packet. Not happy with the outcome. Anybody? Look at the car you drive. Not not so happy with the outcome. Right. So often we're focused on the outcomes and we want God to change all the outcomes of our life, but He never really does that first up. He changes the internal working of our life, and then we produce different outcomes. Amen. This is what it says in First Corinthians thirteen verse thirteen. I'll just let Katie catch up in the New King James Version. It saith unto thee, and now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is. Very good. There's some scripture people out there. And now abide faith, hope, and love. Or faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. So we're picking up a little bit of the thinking from our series, which was the series Abide. And now abide. So what abides? Faith, hope, and Good, good, good. In, in the, new, the New International Version or the North Island Version, it says, um, these three remain. Everyone say remain. These three remain. Faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. The, the New Living Translation says, and these things, these three things, or three things last forever. Everyone say, last forever. Do you know, we want to we be people who can abide. We need to be people who can remain, and we need to be people who can last You know, we want to be people who can last. You know, have you ever had enough energy for the week? Uh, Except the week, you know, and you woke up and you thought, no, it's going to be a good week. We're going to get it through to the end. Do you know what I mean? You wake up on Friday and then someone tells you it's Wednesday. And you know that you've got more week than you've got energy to get to the end of it. Uh, you know, but we need to be the sort of people who can remain. Just like what Nigel was praying and prophesying, what the Holy Spirit's speaking to us this morning through that prophecy, is God wants to do something in us that makes us the sort of people who other people can rely on. And I reckon some, if you've got a friend who can remain, a friend who will abide, a friend who can last, that's the sort of friend you want. That's the sort of people we want to live, living in our neighborhood. These three things, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these, again, is love. What about the message? How many of you know the message is always good? It's always a bit of a, wow, flip. Anyway, the message, Eugene Peterson translates it like this. He says, we have three things to do that will lead us to completeness. Now, that's my translation of his translation, because he's done it really long, right? There's three things that lead us to completeness. He's used the word consumption, consummation, but it's outside my understanding. Uh, We need to trust steadily. Everyone say trust steadily. Okay, so that's how he's done faith. Faith for him is trust steadily in God. We need to hope unswervingly. Again, that's a a lot of syllables. Unswervingly. We need to love extravagantly, and the best of these is love. Right? Check it out. We need to do these things that lead us to this completeness, this coming together of the plan of God. Everyone say faith, hope, and love. You know, when you think about lasting forever, 
I always think about what Jesus said. Jesus has said he's come to give us life in all of its abundance, a life that overflows. When we think about a a big part of our Christian hope is that we would have a life that is eternal. And so often we reduce that down to, I go to heaven when I die. But you know, we can live in abundance now. And I'm not talking about a BMW, a boat, and a batch. I'm talking about the abundance of life, uh, an abundance that flows up out of our heart. Even Jesus, way, even Jesus said, he didn't say way, he might have, but Jesus said, didn't he, that if we believe in him, out of our belly or out of the innermost part of our life would flow rivers of living water. Sometimes I think we think wrongly about what it means to be strong. We think being strong means being inflexible or strong means being opinionated or strong means being a bit of a bullhead or strong just means being a loudmouth. But I think strength is demonstrated in the ability to remain, the ability to keep going. You know, there's something inspiring about endurance, isn't there? Do you know all of the talent in the world is never, the, mo- the next most talented rugby player is never going to replace Richie McCaw until test match number 149. Because one of the things that's inspired people about Richie McCaw is the ability to what? To remain. That's one of the most inspiring things. He's maintained a talent, a high standard, but it's his ability to keep going that's made an impact and that's made a difference. And you know, you can't just keep going by gritting your teeth. You just can't do that. You can keep doing that for for one or two days, but that's not what I'm talking about. There's got to be something happening inside us that propels us a little bit more than just willpower. Have you ever tried to do something like uh, like change some habits? Yeah, it's one of the fun things in life, isn't it? Oh, I'm just going to eat better. How many people say, I'm just going to eat better, right? And, and you, can, you can do that by determination for a certain length of time. But really, if things aren't changing in your thinking or changing around you, how many people know if there's chocolate in the cupboard? How many people know if there's chocolate in the cupboard? It will get eaten, right? It will get eaten, you know, and, uh, and that's reality because to change those things and just by determination, it, it doesn't work long term. There's got to be something changes inside us. Amen? You know, um, and, and I always think about this, you know, the, the tide comes in and the tide goes out. And the tide comes in and the tide goes out. And the tide comes in and the tide goes out. And, you know, as Christians, we need to be people who don't panic every time the tide goes out. You know, I don't know if you ever, you know, how are you going? Oh, it's terrible. No, the tide's gone out. It's not terrible. You're having a tough season. Things are a bit difficult. So, you know, you've been a little bit exposed. There's a bit of pressure going on, right? It's not terrible. Your life is not falling apart, right? It will fall apart if you keep telling yourself how terrible it is. But if you just wait, actually things can turn around. If you just respond right when the pressure's on, the tide comes back in again, right? The other thing is when the tide comes in, what do we say? It's fantastic. All of my dreams have come true. No, the tide has come in. I'm going well. I think sometimes we're like, it's fantastic, or my whole life's falling apart. And that's the difference between Monday and Wednesday. And the reality is we've got to understand that, you know, during exam time, you will be tired. You will be miserable. You will wish that you had got a job as a roading contractor instead of going to university, right? Because A, you'll earn more money. B, you'll have more fun and you'll make a better class of friends, right? People are not convinced, not convinced. But come on, don't, don't, I don't know if you do that. 
Every November when I'm getting all the administration finished for one year and started for the next year, I'm like, oh, this is the worst job in the world. No, it's not. It's November. Come on, it's November. And it's, November's followed by December, which, you know, being a pastor in December is the easiest job in the world. Talk about the baby Jesus, you know, donkeys at church. That's awesome, right? If you can get through the, you know, the planning processes of November into the Christmas celebration, then it's like, oh, this is the best job in the world, right? Then January and February and March and the students come back. Well, come on. The reality is we, so often we're getting panicky when just the, all that's happened is the tide has gone out. Faith, hope, and love position us in a position to remain. Yeah? Very good. Do you know, I think there's, there's one of the problems with faith, hope, and love is that... <coughs> If, if they're balloons, each one's got a pin that pops it. If, if they're, 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 there's an enemy to faith that often we don't understand. We, we think that faith is sort of a, a thing. You know, faith, you either have faith or you don't have faith. But in reality, there's something that robs us of faith that sneaks up on us, you know. If the devil came to us to try and just take faith off us, we would see him coming, Right? Because we're not the sort of people who are just going to put our faith down, right? But what happens is things sneak in the background and steal our faith or diminish our faith. Or I think of it like sometimes like just, like it's almost like faith can drain away when we get weary. How many, people, how many people know what the difference between weary and tired is? See, tired is a, tired's a good feeling. Tired's a positive feeling. And weary is actually a bit a bit difficult, right? See, at the end of a hard day when you've been working physically, you feel physically tired, right? But you feel good because you sort of should feel tired at the end of a day where you've been stretching yourself a bit physically or, or you've been busy at work, you feel tired, right? But when you can be just as, you can work just as hard or sometimes not as hard and come home from work or come home even from serving in church, not feeling tired, but feeling weary, where actually something's happened in your spirit where your emotions have been affected or something's gone wrong and now you've got weary. The Bible says this in, in Galatians 6, 9. Have a look at this in the message translation. It's one of the famous ones you've read before. Do you want to throw that up, Katie? Because I don't actually have a copy of the message Bible. I've only got the internet. It says, it's amazing. I'll tell you what it says. It says, well, the, the scripture is this one. Do not grow weary in doing good, because in the proper season or in due season, you will receive a harvest of righteousness, right? But in the message, it's been rendered like this. Let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. Isn't that interesting? At the right time, we'll, we'll harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. So if we don't give up or quit, we'll harvest a good crop. The thing that might make you give up or quit isn't tiredness. It's this, this, it's a bigger word, it's fatigue in this translation. In the old translations, it's this weariness. Do you know, there's two things that I notice out of this that's pretty important for us to understand. Is number one, it's possible to get weary or fatigued or to be a bit emotionally drained even when you're doing good things. Look at that. Oh, sorry, Katie, leave that message one up. That's, that's a good one, we'll leave it up. It says, do not grow weary or do not allow yourself to become fatigued doing good. Do you know, the funny thing is, in life, sometimes, you know, like you think, oh, I'm going to take on a new challenge. Like, maybe you take on a challenge in the workplace, or, or even as a family, you say, hey, we're going we're gonna to take on a bit of a challenge and change the way we do family life. Or you might, you might be a husband who thinks, oh, I'm going to, actually, I'm going to commit to getting the lawns done every week, or I'm going to make sure we get the, I'm, I take charge of the dishes, or whatever. And you choose a good thing. Have you ever chosen a good thing to do? 
You might even choose a really good thing to do, like I'm going to serve in church or I'm going to help in the kids' ministry. Or, I'm going to help with the setup team, right? And so that's a good thing you choose to do, right? Or, I'm going to start praying for my neighbors. That's a good thing, isn't it? I'm going to start inviting friends to church. That's a good thing, right? But how many people know that we get tired and then things don't go to plan? And when things don't go to plan or we don't get what we expect, right? Here's an example. I'm going to, I'm going to take a challenge and I'm going to do something good. Whenever you do something good, what you accidentally do is you always attach an expected outcome to it. I am going to do this good thing, and then either the universe or God is going to return something to you, right? So I'm going to do this good thing. So um, I know one of, the, one of the tough things you might choose to do one is, is I'm going to serve on the hosting team. And someone says, come and serve on the hosting team. And we say these things all the time, like, it'll be fun. Uh, or, you know, come and, you know, you can make a contribution, right? And, and if you make a contribution, you'll get more out of it, right? Right? But the reality is, you, we, if we do it for what we get back, we're doing it weird. I'm going to start praying for my friends and they'll get saved, right? No, just start praying for them, right? And then believe for something good to happen. Because what we do is when we, when we do a bargain with God, God doesn't, God's never going to, you know, if you fast, if you say, I'm going to pray and fast until God does X, Y, or Z, you're, you're going you're gonna to die. Because, see, God will never allow us to twist his arm behind his back and make him do something, right? But if you say, hey, I'm just going to step out in faith and believe and just see what God does, then you get an outcome, right? But the good things that we do, if we've got, our, if we've got an expectation for a certain something that we're definitely going to get back, like the youth leaders, I'm gonna, the, uh, we've got all the uh, youth leaders start different hubs, you know, Miramar and Newtown. They, they'll get tired really quick if they say, I'm going to start this hub and I'm going to see X, Y, or Z happen, right? Better to say, I'm going to start this hub and I'm going to see God do significant things, right? Because then God does it, because we can get weary doing good, right? If it's possible to get weary doing good, it's also possible not to. Because whenever the Bible says, don't get weary doing good, it's possible to do good without getting weary. And the answer is this. The answer is we've got to do our good in faith. So he says here, don't get fatigued. Don't get weary doing good. And then he says straight away, because remember, at the proper season, you will receive a harvest of righteousness. You'll get the right things from God. you get the good things from God, whatever God's got in store for you, if you don't give up. Is that all right? I love uh, Matthew 14, 31. You don't need to look it up. It's a great story in the Bible of Peter walking on water. How many people know the story? It's amazing. There's a big storm at sea. The disciples or Jesus' apostles are on the boat. And then in the middle of the storm, they freak out because they see Jesus walking towards them on the water. They think that's a ghost, which is actually a reasonable assumption. And if you're at a storm at sea and there's a person walking on the water, it's probably more likely to be a ghost than a normal person, right? But it turns out it's Jesus walking on the water. And Peter says, if it's really you, call me to come out to you. And it's the, it's the greatest act of faith, really, in the Gospels of one of the apostles. Peter steps out of the boat in the middle of a storm and begins walking to Jesus on the water. Isn't it awesome? It's faith. I'm stepping out. I'm taking an action based on what I believe in who Jesus is. 
right? Every time you give, you do that. You're taking an action based on who you believe Jesus is. When you invite a friend to church, you're taking an action based on the fact that you believe Jesus is the sort of guy, the sort of God who can transform our city. And he's going to do that by me inviting my friends to church, them getting saved, their life being transformed, and them reaching out to their friends and family. And that's how the gospel spreads. That's an action. Texting someone, please, why don't you come along to church? I'll pick you up if you want. It's faith. It's an action. It's a visible thing of what you believe, right? Peter does that. And then he's visibly walking on the water. Right? Think about it. He's walking on the water. I don't know how he, he probably didn't walk like that. It would have been odd, right? Then, for some reason, he gets frightened. The waves, it would be part of it, the wind, that's another possible reason. And he's walking, his eyes come off Jesus, and he sees the waves, It's it's an awesome picture. And then he begins to sink. He begins to sink. Well, I don't know if he begins to sink slowly. I would have thought, man, as soon as you stop believing, you'd be, that'd be it. But he begins to sink, and then he does something amazing. As he's sinking, he cries out, Jesus, save me. And Jesus reaches down and picks him up and saves him, which makes you wonder. Jesus says to him afterwards, where was your faith? And I would have thought, well, it was pretty evident he got out of the boat. Where's your faith? Interesting question, isn't it? What did Peter lose faith in? Because he didn't lose faith in Jesus. Because see, if he's walking on the water and he begins to sink and he'd lost faith in Jesus, he would have just sunk and drowned. He didn't lose faith in Jesus because when he began to sink, he called out to Jesus. So his faith in Jesus was always intact. When you begin to sink in life, oh, I'm, I'm just... I might as well just give it all up. I'll never pass this course. I might as well just give it up. We'll never make this marriage work. I might as well just give it up. I'll never be able to learn this job. I might as well just give it up. This hosting's way too difficult. I might when you're when you're about to give up because you've grown weary, you haven't lost faith in Jesus. You've lost faith that Jesus can work in you. See, Christians, because we know the Bible, we always believe in Jesus, but what we lose faith in is the faith in a Jesus who works in imperfect people. That's the problem with sin. That's why you need to avoid sin in your life, not because it will get you to hell. Sin can't get you to hell anymore because Jesus has died for us and we've identified our life with him. What sin does, it interrupts your ability to believe that Jesus can work in you. As soon as that happens, you begin to sink. Not because Jesus can't help you, but because you think Jesus can't work in you. Amen? Very cool. There's another whole scripture, but we're going to skip it, right? Oh, no, we won't. We'll do it because it's quite an important one. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Hebrews 11.1. 1. So faith, what's our enemy of faith is weariness. We can't allow ourselves to grow weary. Do you know you know if you're growing weary? You know when you're weary is when anybody asks you for extra, you just, you just, you, uh, you either you know, you just poke them in the eye or, or you go home and you think, I can't believe that. I can't believe someone would ask me to do that. Then you know you're weary because you, don't, you, don't, you just don't realize, you don't think God can work through you anymore. You don't, oh man, I can't believe that. I, I, I keep doing it, right? Then you know you're weary and what you need to do is have a good rest, allow, your, allow the tiredness away. Once the tiredness is gone, then you can deal with the emotional unheaval and you've got to come back to faith where you can believe God can work through you in circumstance. Amen?
Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So faith, in other translations, says faith is the substance. So it's the visible, practical, physical, real evidence of what we hope for, right? So faith and hope are are, are intimately connected. When you have no hope, you've got no way of generating faith. So faith is destroyed by weariness, but faith cannot exist at all outside of this bigger idea of hope, right? So hope is about, uh, you know, the funny thing about hope is it's a word that's changed meaning, so hope now is, uh, uh, what's the weather going to be like Wednesday? And someone says, oh, I hope it's sunny. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's not what hope really meant when the Bible was translated and said that faith is the evidence of what we hope for. Because um, if, if it was to use the word now, um, you'd say, um, oh, what, what's the weather like Wednesday? I'd say to Alistair, and if you're just wishing, you'd say, well, I hope it's sunny. But real hope says, oh, let's look at the forecast. Let's figure out what God's plan is. Uh, You know, uh, what does Scripture say about the truth of God? And then let's build our expectation around the truth of who God is. That's hope. It's much more like let's find out what what real reality is like and let's build our life around the invisible realities, right? Rather than, oh, I hope it's sunny. Oh, I hope she likes me. Uh, no, let's, come on, let's figure it out. Um, so when we say that faith comes out of what we hope for, the question you've got to ask yourself is, have you built an atmosphere of hope in your life? What are you hoping for? What do you hope for in your future? What do you hope for for your children? What do you hope for for Equippers Church Wellington? What do you hope for in your financial realities of your life? What do you hope for in the business you work in or own? What do you hope for? That, what do you hope could happen in your neighborhood? Because if you don't hope that anything could happen in your neighborhood, you'll never act out any faith. The reason you haven't invited your neighbors to church is because you don't have a bigger hope for what God could do in your neighborhood. The reason you haven't invited your workmates to church is because you don't even hope that they would come to church. Or you don't have a hope that the realities of the gospel can transform their life. That's the only reason why there's no evidence is because there's no hope. Once there's hope, there's always going to be some substance. Once you've got hope, there's always going to be faith. And faith is what pleases God. Faith is what God comes behind. And so we've got to build an atmosphere of faith. How I think about it is like this. How many people know that, uh, how clouds work? Clouds suck up, or the, at the sun as it heats up water, it sucks water, vapor into the sky. They comes together and shapes into these big clouds. That's how I think about hope. We've got to heat up our, we've got to heat up our connection with God. That's why you need to read your Bible in the morning. That's why you need to to, to be at church every week and hear someone preach passionately to you because it sucks up some some of the truth of God into the atmosphere of your life. It begins to build a cloud base in the the stratosphere. Forget the metaphor, but it brings up this presence of God, this reality of God. That's why it was great to get Nigel up to prophesy because it's building hope into us. It begins to form these clouds. And once you get enough hope, then the rain comes right? And you see this, this visible water comes in and replenishes the earth. 
So often we're saying, God, rain, God, rain, but we've got to change the atmospheric condition of our heart so that hope can begin to form. How do you change the atmospheric condition of your heart? Turn the radio off and put some worship music on. Why? Because you're building an atmosphere of hope in your family and in your home, right? Turn the radio off when you're driving to work and pray in the Holy Spirit from when you leave home to when you get to the office. Just remember to stop before you get to the office, right? And do, do, don't pray in tongues at an alcohol checkpoint. But why would you do that? Well, because I'm trying to earn God's favor. No, I'm just changing the atmospheric conditions of my heart so that hope can live here. Well, I'm not hoping for anything, Jordan. Oh, well, do you know what? You could end up just living like that and waiting for hope to arrive, right? But you're actually the ruler of your own heart. You're the ruler of it. But you've spent your whole life being impacted and influenced by all the external realities. But you've got to grow up and be mature and say, I'm going to build an atmosphere of hope in my life. If you don't own your own home, you need a trade me account. You need to look for houses that you could afford. You need to begin believing and you need to look at the photos and think, I wonder what it would like we like to live there. You need to drive up and down streets because God can't do it until there's faith arriving in you, but faith's not going to come until you create an atmosphere of hope in your world. That's why we're in this big building. Could God build could God build a Quivers church into a church of five hundred? Look, he could. There's enough chairs here. Hey, we've solved the biggest problem. There's enough chairs. You can invite your neighbor here and they won't have to sit on their lap because that would be awkward. Oh, great to have you here at church. I didn't realize you were quite so heavy. No, that would be awkward, but now there's a chair for your neighbor to sit on. Isn't it? Right, why, did, why has God led us here? He hasn't brought us in here just for the fun of putting chairs out. He's brought us here so that hope can begin to develop in the atmosphere of our hearts so that we could believe for the reign of God to flood our city and the knowledge of glory of God to cover the earth as waters cover the sea. Amen? Romans 5.5, 5, write the reference down. Hope does not lead to disappointment. The problem with Life is it's disappointing. How many movies do you reckon, what percentage of movies do you come away thinking, wow, that was worth $75? <laughs> That's what it costs to go to the... <laughs> you take the kids to the movie, oh, two adults, four children, six ice creams. <laughs> You're right, they're like, okay, cool, just give us the keys to your car. You know, that's how much it costs to go to the movies, Right? The problem with a movie, the problem, no, the problem with life is, is that it's 50% disappointing. Because we've got this weird measure where we take everything and we rank it in our mind from, from the worst day of our life to the best day of our life. And then we pick the middle and then we're disappointed and upset about half of our life. Arbitrarily, we just say, well, that was the worst day, and this was the best day, so all of this is crap, and I've got to try and live in this half of my life. Well, the reality is, all of your life is awesome. The worst day of your life, God can use to turn and do the best thing in you. The best day of your life, God can work in, right? All of your life is awesome. All of your life is glorious. It's never what you hoped for. It's never exactly what you believed in. It's never exactly what you want. It's never at your best behest and your recall, right? You're not in charge of every instance and every issue. You're not in control like you'd want to be in control, right? But God's at work in it. We've got to be careful about disappointment. Because disappointment just, just dispels the clouds of hope. 
when things go bad, just chalk it up to experience. Be sad. Oh, that's sad. Nothing wrong with being sad. If something happy, if something happy happens and you feel sad, that's you know that's something to talk to someone about. But if something sad happens and you feel sad, that's that's good, because that's right. You're sad. You're sad. Something sad happens, you feel sad, right? And and you're disappointed. You should feel disappointed, right? But you shouldn't take you know a highlighter and color every day disappointment from now on. You're disappointed in a moment or in an experience, or, or, or in a challenge. I believed in God, and I was disappointed. I thought that I could live better than I lived, and I'm disappointed with myself, right? But, you, but you're disappointed in the moment, surely. You're disappointed in that circumstance. But what happens is we take the circumstance, and we then interpret our whole life based on this disappointment, and we say, I am a disappointment. I am disappointed, And we live our life disappointed rather than we live in a disappointed moment and then move to the next one. Right? Don't we do that? As soon as we do that and we choose to live our life disappointed, it doesn't matter what the worship team do, no hope's going to rise in our heart because we're disappointed. Everyone says, you know, God can do something great. And what happens straight away? Disappointment comes in and just swallows the words. And they're gone. And God's trying, to, God's trying to build something in us. And, and disappointment is dispelling hope out of our world. You know, Hebrews 9, uh, 6, 19, it just says, uh, uh, Hebrews 6, 19, we should read it. Uh, it's just awesome. I think this is my favorite biblical concept, my favorite thing in Paul's writing. It says that hope is strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Yeah, so hope is a cloud in one moment. <laughs> Welcome to this sermon. Hope's a cloud, now it's an anchor. Uh, sorry if that's a bit of a challenge. Hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain and into God's inner sanctuary. And um, this, um, this little passage is, is, is the Apostle Paul. He's referencing a nautical technique. Nautical is a, is a boating technique. Uh, and so what they used to do is because they didn't have the they didn't have keel technology like we do now, so the ability to sail against the wind was limited. So what they would do is sometimes navigating into a tricky harbor where the winds were contrary, they could just wait and wait and wait for the winds to change. But in places like the Mediterranean, the wind will blow one direction for three months, then the season changes and it blows the other direction, right? So they they thought of a solution, and what they used to do is they'd take an, the anchor from the ship, and they would put it into the small boat. I always imagined they'd have to drop it in carefully. Right, so they put the anchor for the ship into the small boat, and then a team of sailors would row the anchor ahead. And that's what Peter's refer- uh, Paul's referencing. The next verse is that Jesus is our high priest who's gone before us with our hope. So we put our hope in Jesus, and he goes before us beyond what's visible. Jesus is gone, and he's taken our hope, and he puts it in the inner sanctuary of God, in the middle, in the heart of God, that our hope is positioned in the heart of God with Jesus. Don't you like that? That's what they would do. They put, they take the anchor for the ship. It would be attached to the ship by a rope, right? They didn't just take the anchor, and oh, now we've got no anchor. So they take the anchor, and they stay attached to the anchor. They put the anchor in the harbor, Right? And then they would just pull themselves in. 
And that's really what our Christian hope is. That's why it's not a wish. It's a real hope that we put in the reality of Jesus. And that anchor of our hope is in the reality of Jesus beyond what we can see outside of our understanding. And then what we do is we just march ourselves around a capstan in our life, keeping on believing, keeping on praying, keeping on trusting, keeping on not giving up, keeping on believing. And our hope is this steady anchor that we can wind ourselves in and keep ourselves connected to God and draws us through, even beyond death itself, our hope in Jesus draws us through into God's presence and into His love. Amen. These three remain. What were they? They were faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love last forever, but the enemies of faith is our weariness. And I just wonder whether a few people this morning need to be refreshed in their spirit and in their soul. Maybe you need a holiday, but maybe you just actually need the Holy Spirit, like we've heard prophesied already, begin to work in you and begin to flow in you again. Maybe you've become dry and weary in spirit rather than just tired, and you need to be refreshed so that faith can rise again. You can begin acting and living in faith. And, and, and maybe there's some people here who, who actually your hope has been dissipated by disappointment. And actually, you can't, there's nothing you could do to begin to act out in faith because actually there's no hope for your neighborhood. There's no hope for your own future. You don't have a big enough hope for your own life. And maybe you need God to restore that this morning. But the greatest of these is what? Love. And if you think about it, uh, uh, Jesus said it like this. He said, uh, no, to, no greater love exists than this. There is no greater love than, than, than a man would lay down or a person would lay down his life for his friends. And, and if we think about love, you can think about romantic love or you can think about, oh, I really love the All Blacks or you can think about, oh, I love ice cream. Uh, you know, we, we use the word love uh, pretty broadly, it's a really broad term in English, this word love. But when Jesus talked about love and when the Bible talks about this agape love of God, the love of God for us, uh, it, it's this love of self-sacrifice. So where we lay down our own rights. In Philippians, it talks about how Jesus, even though he was God, he took off his godly, he, not godliness, but he took off his divinity and embraced humanity, lived as a man and suffered and died, and then has been exalted again. That's this, this sacrificial love of God. That's, that's what a parenting is. Parenting is a lesson in love, isn't it? You know, and it's not, when you, it's not when your toddler runs up to give you a cuddle. That's not the moment. That's not really when you're showing the love that I'm talking about. Love is demonstrated in a thousand stinky nappies. And, and, and a thousand sleepless nights. That's love, where you put aside your own needs, you put aside your own gag reflex for the sake, for the health, for the well-being of this other. And, and it's, it's a very, very long time before a, for a child gives you anything back. And pr probably in the history of humanity, no one has ever gone back and thanked their parents for changing their nappies. Thank you so much. Why? Because the child actually still, even as an adult, you actually have no concept of how disgusting you were as a, as a small baby. You, you, you're never going to go back to your parents and thank them for that because you've got no concept. You don't know what it was like for your mum and your dad. You don't know what price they paid. Nobody can because everyone pays a different price in that whole parenting journey. And that's exactly what love is. Love just says, I'll pay the price. 
Do you know when you become a parent or when you get married and you make a, a commitment to love, you pay the price. You don't get to pay a price. There's no negotiation, is there, with toddlers or the little baby? If the baby's awake, everyone's awake. You can't say to the baby, look, if you go to sleep now, I'll give you whatever you want. Because what they want is to cry. Ah! They're, they're doing what they want. They, there's nothing you can't negotiate with them. They're happy disrupting your world. But what do we do in, in life? We do these negotiations. We try and we try, we do, uh, we do an employment negotiation in our job, don't we? What's my job? What's my pay? Right? And then in the workplace, in nearly every office, the dishes do not get done. Why? Because it's not my job. That's not my job. Or, 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 or in life, we, we often say, well, um, even if the Holy Spirit might come and challenge us to, to something in God, why don't you invite your friend to church? Why don't, why don't you talk to someone about Jesus? Why don't you, um, uh, you know, sing, uh, uh, you know, Amazing Grace loudly on the bus? You know, the Holy Spirit could challenge you in all sorts of ways, right? And what do we say? Most of the time when the Holy Spirit speaks to me, I figure out that really most of the things the Holy Spirit asks me to do are not really my thing. Well, that's not really my thing. Why don't you be a church pastor? Well, it's not really my thing. I'm a bit more of a rebel. I want to be like a more of a rebel Christian. Why don't you be a church pastor? It's not really my thing, God. And the Holy Spirit's sort of like, I don't really care what your thing is. Because Jesus thinks it's about his thing. He's sort of, the funny thing about Jesus, you know, we keep telling him he's king of kings and lord of lords. He's starting to believe it. And he starts to ask us to do things like he's in charge. Have you noticed that? Well, why don't, you, why don't you give financially to the work of God? Well, that's not really my thing. I'm not really very good with money. I'm not, I don't really make very much money. It's not my sort of thing. Why don't you serve in the kids program? Well, it's not really my thing. Let's be fair. It's nobody's thing. It's just a kids program. It's no one's real thing. Uh, I've, always thought, I've always thought some people find it easy to invite other people to church or to talk about Jesus with strangers. But the more I do it, I realize if anyone, if anyone should find it easy to invite someone to church, do you know who? It should be me. If anyone, I think if anyone's comfortable talking about Jesus with a stranger, it should be me. I've talked about Jesus to crowds of up to 3,000 people and given them an opportunity to respond to Jesus. 3,000 people all at one time. Do you know that's not embarrassing? That's good fun. Do you know what's difficult is to talk to one of the other dads on the side of the soccer field? What do you do for a job? Well, I'm a builder. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Wow. What a, what a, you know, no one ever says, wow, what do you do? Wow, that's interesting. Well, that's, they're just like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> but why is it embarrassing? It's not because, it's, come on, we've got to understand, we've got to understand it's love that says, why don't you come to church? Why? Because you, some, do you know why? Because something inside you has to die. <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to be crucified, but something of yourself, something of your self-image, something of how you want to present yourself in public, something of your fitting inness, your human. I've got to fit in. Something of that has to die every time you talk to someone about Jesus. You know, I want to talk to someone about Jesus, but not look like the weirdo. Do you know what? I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can. I, I wouldn't suggest being a weirdo intentionally, right? Obviously, I don't need to, right? I've, I've, just got, I've got weirdness on tap, right? But come on, 
I think we've got to come back around. We've got to come back around to some of the things that Jesus calls us to do is, is to love the world. Some of what God's called us to do is to love other Christians. Some of you, uh, some of you got to, we've, some of us, all of us have got to understand a lot of what God calls us to do is to love each other as the church. Right? Which is, which is good for, you know, when you're the pastor, it's good because, you, you know, I understand scripturally, you don't have to like the sermon, but you do have to love me. That's why church should be a safe place because you don't have to do things perfectly because everyone has to love you. Sometimes it looks like they're trying really hard, but that's not the point. The point is that we've got to realize that if we're not loving, we're missing out on one of the things that remains. If we're, if we're not living a life of love, that's why we keep flaking out. That's why everything is difficult. That's why everything is hard. If you, in a parenting journey, if you're not focused on, I, well, I love this child, every single nappy is going to be a torture for you. Right? In a marriage, if there's not love, you know, every time the toilet seat's left up, there's going to be an argument, Right? There might still be an argument, right? But it will break a marriage. The toilet seat can break a marriage if there's not love that says, I'm going to lay down something of myself. And I'm going to start to remember some details on behalf of someone that God has called me to love, right? Well, what's the, the enemy of love is an interesting thought, really. If it's weariness that robs us of faith and it's disappointment that steals our hope, uh, uh, 1 John 4, 8 says this about love. It says that, Perfect love or completed love or perfected love drives out fear. Anyone who does not love God does not know God, for God is love. The next verse, anyone, uh, the next verse, sorry. Did I write eight? Maybe it's nine. Can you try verse nine, Katie? Seven, eight, nine, ten. This is real love. Eleven. Twelve. Thirteen. Okay, in the Bible, it says... It might be, it might have been earlier, it might have been six. Eighteen. Oh, that old chestnut, leaving the one off the eight. Eighteen. Such love has no fear. What, we all know what love he's talking about because we just read every verse beforehand, right? <laughs> Such love has no fear. This, this is completed love. This is the mature love. This is when God's love has been worked out in us, right? So this is our destination. It's not where we any of us are at, right? We're all in a journey, understanding, experiencing, and relating the love of God to others. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. And you know, I think that fear robs us of love. I think fear is an enemy that robs us from loving. It's simple as this. If you're too scared to ask someone out, the relationship's probably not going to go any further. If, if you're too scared 
to reach out. If you're too scared to go on the mission trip, then your love for that nation maybe is never going to develop. If you're too scared to give financially, then your love for the house of God is never going to grow from where it is right now. If you're too scared to serve, then your love's not going to grow. And, and But perfect love drives out all this fear because fear puts us back in the corner. Fear gives the, puts the defenses up. Fear says, I can't afford to love because of what happened last time. Because the problem with loving people, this is the only problem with loving people. Love is awesome. Love is yay. Love is well. Love is awesome. Except that every single person that you love will hurt you. Not, not intentionally necessarily, but love hurts. So says the song. Love, love hurts. Love, if you love somebody, you're loving someone who's imperfect. Aren't you? You're loving someone who's imperfect, which means that they will hurt you. They'll say something to you that hurts. They'll, they'll do something that hurts. They'll, be a, they'll say something offensive. They'll not understand you where you're at. They'll, they'll still not get it, right? If, if you love someone, here's a, here's a simple, simple, simple little one. Let's say you're going to love people, right, tomorrow. So you get on the bus and you think, I'm going to be friendly, I'm going to be a friendly person on the bus. Maybe that's what the Holy Spirit's challenging you on. Maybe he's not, but you think, I'm going to be friendly, right? And so how many people know that when you're friendly, you open yourself up to being rejected, right? And so because the last time you were friendly, someone looked at you strangely, you just don't do it anymore, right? And if you allow that continue in your life, we end up being like London. If you've ever been to London, if you go to London and you travel in rush hour on the tube, it's one of the most surreal feelings in the world. I can remember standing in, uh, on the Waterloo, the Waterloo to City Line on the platform with probably a thousand people. It was, it was shoulder to shoulder and everything else to everything else on the platform because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a point to point tube. So there's no one getting off the train. It's empty when it gets there. So you don't have to make room for anyone getting off. So the, the platform fills up. So I was standing on the edge, and you're standing on the edge like that as the train's arriving. Right? Every single person has a copy of the Daily Mail Express because it's free, and they're reading it. Every person standing there reading, or, or we didn't have social media or anything like that in the 1980s or the, the, whenever it was we were there. Um, people might be texting. People who have got a lot of money, they can be texting. But usually people got the newspapers or they're just standing. And for five minutes while you wait for the tube to arrive, you can't hear, in, not, in, a, in a thousand people, no one is saying a single thing to anybody else. And then when you get on the train, if you're a New Zealander or in Australia and you're chatting, hey, how you going? You're saying stuff like that. How are you going? If you're in London, always put on more of an Australian accent. Because uh, you would say something stupid and then they'll get the blame, right? Um, you know, you're there chatting, and as soon as you say, hey, how are you going? Uh, 50 people in the carriage will shake their paper at you, which is English for having, like, standing up for yourself and being brave. They shake their paper at you. Now, the reality is we can end up living our whole life just wrapped up in our own little self because we're scared of being hurt. Do you know, one of the things you shouldn't be scared of, you should never think, oh, will I be hurt? Just write it down, yes, you will. If I, if I make a friendship, if I become friends with Dougal, will I be hurt? Yes, you will. 
at some point, Doug will make a joke at your expense. Right? That once he likes you, that's what he'll do. Right? Should you, should you ask that girl out, will I get hurt? Yes, you will. Should I ask that boy out, will I get hurt? Yes, you will. If I invite all of my neighbors to church, will any of them come? Probably not. Will I be rejected? Yes. So I had three people come to church today. I was going to go pick them up. And all of them said no. In fact, not even that. I text them, oh, I'm coming. I'm about to leave and pick you up. Text me your address. But what, but what, come on, what, what are we here for? Uh, you know, the reality is if we're going to live a life that overflows, if we're going to live a life that remains, if we're going to live a life that lasts forever, we need to live with love, don't we? I love um, Romans 12, 1 and 2. How many people know Romans 12? When I was at primary, no, intermediate school, we had to memorize the whole of Romans 12. I was, must have been about 11. So now I can't not know it. But I'll look it up anyway. But it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I'm urging you, I'm challenging you, I'm pushing you, says the apostle. I, and dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, it says in the new version. Give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. In the old version it says, in view of God's mercies, by the mercies of God, present your body or present your physical life, your real life, your visible life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Isn't that awesome? This is the deep end. Romans 12 is the deep end of what it means to follow Jesus. And it starts with this, the Apostle Paul urging the Roman church, come on, give your whole life as a living sacrifice. Live your moment by moment. The message says, you're walking around talking life. Live it as a sacrifice, not as a worship song. That's the thing. We like to live our Christianity as a worship song. But it's a bit Old Testament. I'd love my life to just to be a song to Jesus. Jesus says, I'd like it to be a blood sacrifice. Oh, Jesus, I just want my whole life to sing of your goodness. And Jesus is like, I would like your life to be a burnt offering about my goodness. Because that's really what makes our life sing. That's what makes our life worship is when we live it as a living sacrifice. And I see I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about your life being smaller or being harder or being more miserable. Because what will make your life small and hard and miserable is weariness, disappointment, and fear. But what makes your life big and lively and colorful is faith, hope, and love. And one of the biggest oxymorons of Scripture is that when we live our life as a living sacrifice, we live the life that we really wanted. We live a life that's full of life. Isn't it funny that when we lose our life, then we really find it? And when we hold on to our life, then we'll lose it. What percentage of your life, what percentage of every day are you trying to hold on to your life? When you get, when you get an opportunity to give up some of your life, do you think, wow, this is a great opportunity to give up some of my life? Because then I'll, then I'll be able to hold on to my life. Or do you think, oh, these people just want more and more from me? 
while I invited these neighbours over for once. Now they won't go away. Do you know the problem with inviting someone for church? You know, you invite someone to church and then they need a lift. And then they need a lift every Sunday. Have you ever noticed that? But come on, when, when we get an opportunity to give our life away, what, do we get, what, we, what is the opportunity really? It's really an opportunity to find our life in, in the way that we really want to live it. Amen? Why don't you close your eyes and bow your head. Let's pray just before we go. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you're here. And I know that you're our teacher, God, that you lead us and you guide us into all truth. And Lord, I thank you for your people, Lord God, that as we've opened our heart to you, Lord God, even as uh, Pastor Steve said a couple of weeks, as, as we can break up, the hard parts of our heart, if we break up the fellow parts of our heart, Lord God, that you begin to work in us, Lord God, and you produce in our lives a harvest of righteousness. This morning, perhaps you're here and you've never made a decision to acknowledge Jesus. I don't know everyone that well, but maybe you're here and you've, and you've never made a decision to say, yeah, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to make Him the center of my world. Just right now, before we close the service, I'd love to give you an opportunity to acknowledge Jesus as your Savior asking Him to forgive your sin, but also I'm going to give you the opportunity to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. He's the Creator God, the source of all life, the source of the universe. I'm going to give you the opportunity to acknowledge Him as Lord. When you do that, it's a decision to allow God to forgive you of your sin, asking Him to forgive you, but it's also a decision to say, I'm going to live my life to honor God. I'm going to live my life on a day-to-day basis to be part of His world and allow Him to lead me and allow Him to be the boss of my world. When we do that, when we acknowledge God, we, first of all, we're guaranteed a place, uh, we're guaranteed eternal life, a place in heaven when we die. And, and secondly, we begin to live the life that we've always wanted, a life that has meaning, a life that has purpose. In amongst all the struggle, we find meaning, purpose in our relationship with God. Perhaps you're here and you haven't opened your heart to God like that. You can do that this morning. I don't want to embarrass anyone, but before we pray, <clears throat> all I'd like to know is who's praying this prayer with me. And so if you are, in a moment, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand. If you're saying, yeah, I want to acknowledge Jesus. I want Him to be part of my world. Why don't you just shoot your hand up wherever you're sitting and say, yeah, that's me this morning. I want to acknowledge Jesus. I want to invite Him into my world, either for the very first time or, or perhaps you've made this decision in the past, but for whatever reason, maybe you've walked away from God. You've lost your connection with Him. Why don't you recommit and rededicate your life to God now? Just shoot your hand up if you want to pray this prayer. And in a moment, when people have had a chance to respond, then we're going to pray. Awesome. I haven't seen anybody's hand, but if you if you wanted to make a decision, make it real clear for me. And, and otherwise, we're going to move on and pray. That's awesome. Why don't we stand to our feet? Is that all right, church? I I just really I just really believe that God's speaking. You know, it's it's a quite a good Sunday to preach this one because we're in between our series, and so you can just pray during the week and hear God. And it's, it's just one one sermon. It's not a whole series. And I was just so encouraged by Nigel's prophecy and. Uh, and uh, But I, I just really believe that there's an opportunity here for a bunch of us to just to reconnect with who we really are. Reconnect with the life that we really want to live. A life of faith, hope, and love. And, and, and maybe it's one of those things that stands out for you is that's perhaps been robbed. Maybe you've been robbed by disappointment. And it's time to just allow the Holy Spirit to heal the wounds and and, and fill in the cracks of that disappointment and, and you can leave the disappointment as the disappointment of a moment rather than a disappointing life. Maybe fear is preventing you from being a person who truly loves. I, I wonder what you're scared of. I wonder if you're scared of losing your life. Maybe, 
that fear of losing your life is actually robbing you from finding what you're really called to, how the life that you're really supposed to live. And I just wonder how, how, how often we're really living in faith. We're really taking actions of faith or, or perhaps sometimes we're just going through the motions of Christianity with weary, weary hearts. Why don't, we, why don't you lift your hands right across the room? Just open your heart to God and just whatever it is for you, just bring it to God right now and say, God, I'm just, I need faith. God, you know, faith is a gift. Faith is a gift that God can put back in us. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that equips Wellington, that we, we are going to be a, a community of faith, a community of people who act out based on what we believe, that, that we take the actions of faith because we believe in a big God. People, we're, we're people who are brave. We're people who are bold. We're people who step out. And Lord, I thank you that that is who you have called us to be. And we declare it over ourselves, oh God. We receive it. Holy Spirit, Lord, right now I pray, and I thank you that you're moving in amongst us. Lord, I pray those of us, Lord God, who have been robbed by weariness, Lord, I pray right now that you'd re-energize our spirit, re-energize our soul. If that's you, just put your hand on your head and just say, Holy Spirit, just re-energize my spirit, re-energize my soul. If you know that you've been weary, just say, God, just, I, I just, just, I'm not, I'm just not going to shake it off, but I'm going to allow you, Holy Spirit, to just wash away the weariness, Lord God, that, 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 the emotional disconnection, the, the weariness of, of keeping on believing, Lord God. We thank you, God. It's by your grace. It's a work of grace from faith to from, from start to finish, from the Alpha, the Omega begins in faith, oh God. It's carried by faith, oh God. Lord, we just choose to be people of faith, oh God, uh, not people who are weary, Lord God, that we're people who continue to believe in Jesus' name. Maybe in your life you've had a, a big disappointment, and that disappointment robbed you of hope in a moment. A relationship died. A, a person maybe even died. An opportunity died. And the disappointment that has actually gone from just being a disappointing moment to actually you live with a sense of disappointment. You actually look through disappointment glasses and it colors everything. So as soon as something good begins to happen, and some of those faithful, faith, uh, hope-filled clouds begin to fill your heart. You look at them with these glasses of disappointment and the clouds evaporate and the rain never comes. Come on, if that's you, just lift your hands. The Holy Spirit just wants to minister. Just, just, just right now, even out of your mouth, just under your breath, just say, God, I let go of disappointment. I release it out of my spirit. Verbalize that even in your mind. God, I'm letting go of my disappointment. I'm, I'm letting go of disappointment. It was a disappointment. That, that moment was a disappointment. That, that death was a disappointment. My heart was broken, but it's not going to remain broken. I'm letting go of the disappointing life. I'm letting go of the disappointed attitude. I'm letting go of a disappointed world. Holy Spirit, we just release you to move in Jesus' name. I just, I just feel to say this, if, if disappointment is a challenge, it is a challenge. One of the things God's spoken to me about in terms of disappointment is when we hold on to disappointment, what we're really doing, and this is harsh, what we're really doing is judging God. We're saying, God, this didn't work out the way I wanted, and you said you were going to, and I'm holding this against you, God. 
and we can end up being bitter in our heart towards God without knowing it. We would never consciously do that. But our circumstances have happened and and we're holding it against God. But just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and bring conviction if that's you and just say, God, you're in charge. I'm letting you go. I'm letting my judgments go, God. You're in charge. Amen.